Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey there and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm Jonathan Strickland, your beloved host, and it's that time of year again, folks. It is time for us to look over the predictions that I had made for 2015 and see how I did. However, if you remember the 2015 predictions episode, it wasn't the way we normally do it here on Tech Stuff. I had a guest host, Tom Merritt, uh, who does the Daily Tech News Show along with dozens of other shows. He joined me, and instead of making our own predictions, we actually looked over predictions other people had made and then evaluated them, kind of gave our take on it. So I'm going to go over those predictions again and kind of talk about what actually happened during the course of 2015. I should also add, I'm recording this on December 3rd, 2015. So technically, there is a month to go, or just about a month to go before we end out the year. So some of these that I say haven't come true, maybe in the next several days will come true, but it's not likely. Um, and most of them actually are are pretty safe bets. It turns out a lot of people, when they make predictions, want to go the safe route. Um, so without further ado, let's talk about some of those predictions. The first group we talked about on that episode came from Samsung. And Samsung made some predictions that were, as Tom Merritt put, fairly aspirational, meaning that a lot of the predictions made by Samsung tied directly into products that Samsung offers. And obviously, Samsung wanted to make predictions that kind of uh, dovetailed with their strategy. It wouldn't make sense for Samsung to predict, you know, these devices that we're making, no one's going to have a use for them anymore. So we're just wasting our time. That would be a bad idea. But uh, the first one that they predicted was that wearables would be seen as status symbols in the business world, that the businessman and businesswoman of 2015, they would not consider their ensembles complete unless they were wearing a smartwatch, for example. Tom and I both were pretty skeptical of this and pointed out that it was a little self-serving, not, no big surprise, as I already mentioned, and thought that perhaps it's a little premature to suggest that smart accessories are going to be seen as status symbols, even things like the Apple Watch, which had not yet launched when we recorded that episode. And as it turns out, I'd say we were mostly right. I don't see smartwatches as being a big status symbol outside of very niche industries. Like in the tech world, maybe you could argue that smartwatches and devices that are in that tier are seen as something of a status symbol, but beyond that industry, not so much. And you got to keep in mind that while smartwatches can be expensive on the order of hundreds of dollars, when you're talking about luxury watches, the stuff that executives can afford and uh, afford to have and often use as status symbols, that's in the thousands of dollars. It's well beyond what we tend to see with smart devices. And you wouldn't necessarily want to spend thousands of dollars on a smart device because, like all technology, it runs out of value pretty quickly. It hit, hits obsolescence within a couple of years. So unless you're making crazy amounts of cheddar, 
you probably don't want to be spending it on smart devices every single year or every two years. Uh, the next prediction was that people will restructure their lives around personal power hours. This was an idea about uh, how we're using more devices to kind of get information about ourselves and our productivity and our activity. We can see how we have uh, peaks and troughs of activity throughout a day, and that by looking at this data, we could actually plan our day so that we have our most productive hours dedicated to work and our less productive hours uh, reserved for other stuff like food and naps. And I want to live in this world. It sounds like a lovely place, but Tom and I both were skeptical of this one as well. We pointed out that uh, we are probably not at a place yet, or and we wouldn't be by the close of 2015, where your average workplace could have the flexibility to allow employees to structure their work days around their own personal uh, peaks and and troughs of activity. And I think that's pretty much true. I'm sure there's some very forward-thinking places out there that have incredible flexibility for their employees, but on average, I would say that's not the case. And I wouldn't expect it to be. There are a lot of different businesses that just are not really optimal for that kind of flexibility, despite the fact that we would be much more productive or, or potentially could be much more productive. It's just not the way the systems work. You know, there's certain business systems that rely upon people working at certain hours, and it would require a huge overhaul to change that. And uh, it just is not really realistic to expect that to turn around so quickly. Maybe in the future, it would be lovely to see, but we're still kind of waiting on that. The next one Samsung made was that VR and the innovative use of displays would lead to a new era of shops, freeing up physical space. So you would have less of a need to maintain a physical presence like in a mall or at a strip of stores. You could have a kiosk and a VR headset and customers could put that on and walk through a virtual uh, store and see all these products and purchase them that way. Tom. And I, again, were a little skeptical on this. Uh, we did think that we were going to see more VR headsets hit the consumer market in 2015. As it turns out, we're still waiting on most of those. Um, we keep hearing about the promise of VR, and honestly, it's making me a little nervous about the, the uh, uh, use of VR because the longer we have to wait the more likely people will lose interest, just as they did the first round of VR in the 90s. Uh, if the experience isn't really mind-blowing and amazing, and if it isn't at a price point that is acceptable to the average consumer, and if it doesn't happen soon, we are in danger of VR not going anywhere yet again. Um, so because of that delay, we really haven't seen any use of VR, at least not on a widespread basis, as a way of, of, uh, as an alternative to having a physical presence, uh, a physical store space. We've seen plenty of online uses of that, where stores have used an online presence instead of, uh, physical storefront properties, but not the VR experience, at least not that I've seen. 
And uh, this wasn't a big surprise for us. We thought that it was pretty likely that it was too early to call VR the savior of the small business. The next one was that home automation would become more of an industry and less of a geek-only world. It was going to go from geek to chic, in other words. And Tom and I both agreed that that was more realistic. Uh, and we also said that it was going to probably be a slow progression. It wasn't going to be something that uh, really super takes off in 2015, but we would see an increase. And that's exactly what we have seen. We've seen more devices and systems that incorporate automation enter the consumer world. Uh, but, you know, as I've pointed out multiple times, it's a daunting task to ask a consumer to buy into an automated system for their home, unless you're buying a brand new house, like something that's been built from the ground up and it's now time to put uh, appliances in that space. You probably aren't looking at many situations where a consumer is going to replace all of their appliances and, and various like climate control systems and locks and all of that stuff all at once. It's very rare when that's going to happen. Most of us can't really afford to do that. Uh, I know that it would be really a scary bill to look at to say, all right, we're going to get rid of all the stuff we have now, like all the appliances, and we're going to change out the locks, and we're going to put in nest systems for both the smoke detectors and the thermostats and all the lighting. We're going to do hue bulbs and all the lighting. And I'm sure that by the time that's all over and I looked at that that price tag, I would think this costs more than my house did. So it's not a big surprise that while there are more options on the market and it's slowly getting adopted in the consumer space, it's not moving super fast. Not a big su surprise. I think it would take a remarkable movement in the automation world for this to get like a big boost. I think it's going to be something that over years we will see more and more systems integrated together, particularly if we can find uh, non-proprietary ways for these devices to communicate with each other so that you don't have to buy in on just one manufacturer's products if you want to have an integrated system in your home. But that's a hope that is probably futile, at least in the short term, because it behooves companies to make proprietary systems. So that way you stay with one company. At any rate, that was the next one. And the last one that Samsung made was all kids born in 2015 will end up learning coding along with stuff like science and math as a core subject. Obviously, we can't verify that yet. It'll take another 10 or 11 years before we can say for sure whether this prediction comes true. But Tom and I both thought that this one was certainly possible. And we definitely hope that it becomes reality because uh, technology is a very important part of our lives. and at, at least a base understanding of of what drives technology from a, a processing standpoint, from a computational and programmatical standpoint would be really helpful. And it'd be great to see that worked into the curriculum of schools, not just for students, but for teachers, too. It, I think it'd be incredibly helpful. I certainly wish I had been able to take coding classes when I was in high school or middle school, even. Middle school would have been ideal, but it just was not an option. Instead, I had shop and I made a race car that vaguely looked car shaped 
and sort of rolled. I mean, it was easily the worst made car in the class. It looked like uh, I had hacked at it with a stone saw as opposed to using power tools. Coding would have been a nice change of pace. The next collection of predictions came from thestreet.com. The first one was that Facebook will aim at the enterprise model to expand and launch something for businesses. In other words, Facebook was going to try and and grow as a company by targeting other companies and saying, we're going to create a platform for you to use as a business on the back end, not just something for you to interface with customers, but for you to use as sort of a productivity platform. And this makes sense because Facebook already has hit pretty much saturation in the consumer world. It's hard to get more people to join Facebook when everyone is on Facebook or one out of seven people in the world are on Facebook. So uh, Tom and I both agreed that this was, in fact, a very likely outcome. And as we've seen, Facebook is doing this. It's kind of slowly working its way into business systems. Uh, they launched a messenger platform for Android, exa- for example, the Android operating system. And we're starting to see more of that kind of enter into the uh, the Facebook strategy. So I'm sure this will continue in 2016, uh, although this is not the predictions episode for 2016 yet. So I will save that. Perhaps I'll even talk about that more in the predictions episode. Next was that Amazon would launch delivery drones before the end of 2015, and the FAA would crumble under intense pressure in order to allow this to happen. Uh, Tom immediately was skeptical of this, as was I. And sure enough, this prediction was a little too optimistic. Uh, Amazon has not launched the delivery service. We did get another video of an Amazon drone being able to lift a large package, but it hasn't gone into practice. And that's not a big surprise. It's going to take a lot of R&D to prove the system works uh, it is reliable that it's not going to encounter problems or cause catastrophes. And then on top of that, it's going to take a lot of work for uh, the regulatory bodies to allow this to happen. So, uh, yeah, this seemed like it was a really aggressive prediction and it did not pan out as it turns out. Next was that Uber would go public in 2015. Tom said his instinct on this was that No, it would not. But then he also pointed out that often companies end up going public, despite the fact that he can't see any logical reason for that. Uh, But Uber did not go public, at least not yet. And in October 2015, Uber's CEO actually said that the company wasn't planning any IPO anytime soon. Uh, So it looks like we're going to be pretty safe in 2015. Uber will not be a publicly traded company before 2016, at least. And perhaps it'll be a long time before Uber attempts to go public. So that one ends up being a bust. Uh, but Tom's disagreement with that prediction was right. So while the prediction was wrong, we ended up being correct. Hooray. The next predictions came from Bread and Beyond. And the first was that Google Glass will head into mass production in 2015. Wow. Well, Tom said that he gave this a 62% chance of going, uh, of being true, of Google Glass going into mass production. And I said I, I was more 
skeptical. I did not think it was going to happen. And that was largely because I own a pair of Google Glass. And while I love them, I also recognize their shortcomings. They have very limited use and the uses that they do have can cause strife among people you encounter. Uh, I had several situations where I wore Google Glass and friends would say, can you take those off? It makes me nervous because they thought I was videotaping or I'm, I'm sorry for using the acronym videotaping. I'm a child of the 80s. Um, but but uh, recording what was going on or taking pictures, even though clearly I wasn't, uh, it still made them nervous because it seemed very prevalent. Never mind the fact that everyone today has a device that is capable of recording video and even broadcasting it live to the Internet as it's happening. Uh, it, it, it's I think the perception of what Google Glass is that really hurts it. At any rate, uh, it did not go into mass production. Not only did it not go into mass production, but in January 2015, so just a couple of weeks after Tom and I recorded the episode, Google announced that Google Glass was essentially being shelved. It wasn't being dismantled entirely. They said that they, the company intended to bring Google Glass to consumers at some point in the future, but was at least temporarily being put on hold. So not only did it not go into mass production, it actually was kind of pushed into the shadows. So, uh, that one, uh, that one not so much. Uh, Bread and Beyond also predicted that the Firefox operating system, uh, for, for mobile devices would flop and it would never go mainstream, which made Tom laugh because he said that, well, it, it had maybe a long shot chance of success, but it was already clear that the cards were really stacked against Firefox already because you had entrenched operating systems in the mobile space already, and it would be really hard to to dislodge them. Uh, and in fact, if you look at recent market share numbers, they're kind of all over the place because it all depends upon which tracking system you use. But for example, IDC says that Android makes up to about 82.8% of the mobile market, and iOS is a distant second at 13.9%. Then it's Windows Phone at 2.6%, then BlackBerry at 0.3%, and everything else all lumped together is 0.4%. So that would include Firefox OS in there. Uh, so yeah, it, it definitely didn't go mainstream, but who would have expected it to? Uh, we certainly thought that there was a chance for it to go, uh, to be popular within a niche. But there was just no chance for it to go mainstream. Not, not in a year's time anyway. The last prediction from Bread and Beyond was that we might actually see autonomous cars hit the streets before the end of 2015, meaning that consumers would have an opportunity to buy them or perhaps that businesses would be able to use them as taxi services. Uh, but Tom and I both thought this was way too aggressive a prediction. Uh, and sure enough, that's the case. We have not seen these types of cars go out for the general public to either purchase or to ride in as part of a service. Uh, we pointed out that autonomous cars also face some really hefty legislative hurdles, and it's going to take laws uh, changing in order for these to become a possibility in the future. Like it, it may not even be legal to purchase an autonomous car depending upon where you live. Never mind the fact that 
Now, we do have Tesla vehicles on the street with some autonomous capability, but they're not intended to be autonomous vehicles. They're vehicles that have really sophisticated driver assist systems in them. You're not supposed to use it as a means of getting from point A to point B without having touched the wheel or the uh, the accelerator or brake. In fact, you're very much not supposed to do that, and yet there are people who take videos of it and then express amazement when things do not go as they had hoped. And it's because the systems weren't designed to do what the people are making them do. It's really problematic. So this one also turned out to be a bust, but Tom and I both agreed that that's how it was going to turn out. Next, we looked at IDC and some of the predictions they made. Uh, one of those was that the phablet market, phablets being extremely large smartphones, the, something between a phone and a tablet. Typically, we look at things like the the Galaxy Notes and the Nexus 6 and the iPhone 6 and that sort of stuff as being, iPhone 6 Plus, really, as being the devices that are uh, in that category. That the market would grow as people demand larger devices, but wearables would underperform in 2015. Now, Tom made a very good point in that episode. He said, well, it's pretty safe to say that phablet market is going to grow because the phablet market was very young at the end of 2014. There were only a few uh, devices that fit the category, and clearly more devices were going to join that category. And since you're talking about a small number, having a small number grow isn't a big surprise. Like, sometimes you'll see figures for market growth that'll say the market for this type of device grew by 200%. Well, if I only sold one last year <laughs> and then I sell, you know, three the following year, it's not that great a story. But from a growth perspective, it looks fantastic, you know, from that percentage. So it all depends on how you look at it. And sure enough, uh, in July 2015, there was a report that phablets were on track to have market growth of 66% in 2015. Now, that sounds great, a 66% growth in the market. But that means that phablets would make up about 17% of the overall smartphone market. So it's not like phablets are completely displacing every other type of smartphone. They're making up less than 20% of all smartphones on the market. But they are the the number is growing, and I do expect that to continue because, as Tom pointed out in our predictions episode, these days we use our phones not to make calls so much, but to access stuff online and to send messages and pictures, and therefore having larger uh, real estate for for screen size for for being able to see the things we use these phones for, it totally makes sense. He also pointed out that the second half of that prediction, that wearables would underperform, was more of a substantive prediction. It had more meat to it because it meant sticking your neck out and, and actually saying wearables are not going to do as well in 2015 as they had been doing. Or at least they're not going to sell, sell as well as what people had predicted. Uh, he pointed out that there would be many more products in the wearable category out in 2015, but perhaps people wouldn't flock to them. And according to IDC, there was a 200% increase in wearables shipped in the first quarter of 2015 compared to that same time in 2014, but that is shipped, not sold. The Apple Watch came out 
this past year, 2015, but it was not a mega hit. I mean, it sold a lot of units early on, but hasn't continued. Like we don't hear crazy stories of, of, uh, Apple watch sales, but then again, Apple is also pretty quiet about that kind of stuff, but it didn't seem to be the sort of hit that the iPhone was or that the iPad was the next Prediction was that the Internet of Things will continue to grow, which is sort of a no-brainer. And we, Tom and I, both pointed out that that was going to obviously be true. And, of course, that is true. Uh, but we're also seeing some resistance to the Internet of Things, uh, largely because people are starting to question how that impacts their security and their their privacy. Uh, there's also been some data tracking scandals that have really brought this to light. And so now... Some people, at least, are a little more wary of having more devices around us that are tracking more data that pertains to us as people. So uh, it is interesting to see how this is going. I'm sure we're going to continue to see the Internet of Things grow over the next few years. I don't think that it's going to stop growing. It may slow a bit in its growth as people bring more concerns to light. but. Ultimately, from what I see, it looks like the people who are raising concerns represent a relatively small population compared to people who either don't know about the problems, don't care about the problems, or just are, you know, they, they, they care, but not enough for them to do anything about it. We next looked at some predictions from Gartner, and Gartner mostly was looking at trends that they expected to increase, uh, maybe in doubling in size, like... Uh, the number of devices connected to the Internet would increase su substantially in uh, 2015. The 3D printer market would double. Uh, there would be twice as many car models that would have connectivity in 2015 as there were in 2014. And that more companies were going to hire chief digital officers and similar executives to help with data security. Now, Tom and I agreed that all of those trends would be on the rise Maybe not as much as doubling, but all of them would see increases over the course of 2015. Uh, as it turns out, if you want to know how many devices are connected to the Internet, there's not really any good number out there. There are a lot of different companies that have created estimations based upon various types of measurements, but there's no easy source to go to and say, here it is, here's the number. Like, you can't go to... How many devices are on the internet.com and there's just a big number there? That doesn't happen. However, estimations tend to range between 4.9 billion to 25 billion devices. That's a big range. Now, Gartner says that 4.9 billion represents the installed base. Those are chips that have connectivity uh, uh, abilities that are actually in devices that are shipped to consumers. In other words, there are currently 4.9 billion devices that are in consumer products and are connecting to the Internet, whereas the 25 billion number, they say, represents the total chips manufactured that would allow for connectivity but are not necessarily in actual devices or are actually employed as of right now. So in other words, we're just shy of 5 billion devices connected to the Internet, according to Gartner's numbers. 3D printers have seen a great deal of growth, particularly in the low-cost consumer model market. 
Forecasts still predict that the market will double in size every single year until 2019. So every year we're going to see twice as many 3D printers sold as the year previous, which is pretty exciting. However, right now we're still talking about numbers that are in the hundreds of thousands of units, not millions of units. So like I said before, doubling doesn't necessarily mean a huge number, uh, it just means it's twice as big as it had been before. If if it had been two, now it's four. Uh, in this case, we're talking about a couple hundred thousand units of 3D printers. Uh, pretty soon we'll be getting into the millions, though. But even so, it's still a pretty small market, all things considered. But it is growing. The car model prediction they made is pretty difficult to pin down because it would mean going through every manufacturer and every brand and every model and seeing which ones have connectivity and then even defining what connectivity means. When you say a connected car, are you talking about multiple systems being connected? Are you talking about just a, a, a entertainment system? Uh, like what does that mean connected car in this, in this respect? Uh, but I would guess that we have seen a lot more cars with some sort of connectivity feature added into it in 2015 than there were in 2014. However, we also saw some major, major problems with connected cars in 2015. And if you listen to my year in review, where I wrapped up the big stories of 2015, you heard some of that. Uh, so... We'll probably see this continue, but we're also going to see even more focus put on security in the automotive world. And as for chief digital officers, we've certainly seen a lot more focus put towards cybersecurity, but we're still seeing security leaks and security breaches. So I don't know that we have reached the point where we can really say we've got a handle on this because this is an ongoing problem. Well, the IRS hack was incredibly scary that this hit the United States government, which is supposed to, you know, be really focusing on cybersecurity. And there are other breaches that were also pretty terrifying. Nothing quite on the media level of the Sony hack from 2014, but still, uh, we haven't reached a point where we can rest easy. Certainly, uh, one of those things where I think we'll see more progress in 2016 more companies investing in high-level positions that are meant to at least attempt to address security issues, uh, cybersecurity issues at companies. Then we had a couple of other predictions that just fell from different sources. One was that we'd see a, a move to more alternatives to email, that email's importance itself would decrease in 2015. I, I mean... I don't know. I couldn't find a whole lot of information about how email use has changed in 2015. Anecdotally, it's still very important in my job, but that's anecdotal. That's not very useful information. There have been a lot of tools that have gained serious traction in 2015, stuff like Slack. Slack reminds me a lot of what Google Wave was attempting to be. So we're st we are seeing tools that are meant to be a, a means of, of collaborative work that could decrease the need to use email. But even in our office, where we do have Slack, 
Um, we also have people who would prefer to just go ahead and use email to send stuff around rather than constantly check, a, a you know, a Slack feed. So this one was one that, uh, I, I think maybe is more true than not true. We probably did see some people shift away from email and use other means of communication more frequently, but not to a point that was really remarkable. Uh, also, there was a prediction that tablets would make a comeback in 2015, although another prediction said that tablets would fade away and smartphones would take their place. Now, Tom pointed out that there had been a stall in tablet sales, but that might be because people had bought a tablet and then weren't ready to replace it yet. That tablets might follow a pattern more similar to desktop computers, where you buy one and you stick with it for a couple of years before you upgrade. And then you might upgrade once you notice that the the performance is starting to suffer. Or maybe the latest version has a feature that is really compelling to you and you're not going to get it on your existing tablet. But it would make sense that we would see tablet sales numbers go in cycles where you know, it's it's not necessarily a device someone's going to upgrade every single year. Some people will, but not the not necessarily the majority of your market. So he said it's not a big, big surprise. He would imagine that there would be an uptick at some point where people are ready to upgrade. Um, and as it turns out, IDC reported in 2015 that by the end of the year, we would see an 8% decline in tablet shipments. This was in the middle of 2015 when this report came out. So 8% negative growth is the way some people refer to it. Um, Strategy Analytics says it expects a 7% growth in the tablet market in 2016. So it's possible that we're on the verge of an upward swing, that, that 2015 was one of the lulls. And in 2016, people will be ready to upgrade, and that's when we're going to see growth again. But we're probably not going to see crazy growth the way we did when the first few years when the iPad came out and everybody wanted to get one of those devices. Uh, I also asked Tom, did he think 2015 was going to be the year that NFC technology would finally take off? I mean, it had been available for a couple of years, but had yet to really catch on. And I was wondering if Apple Pay... Uh, the iPhone and the, and the Apple Watch were going to really push this over the edge. Tom said he wasn't, he wasn't really certain that would happen. He was a little, uh, he said it probably wasn't the outcome that we should expect. And I'd say he's right. We've definitely seen more places adopt stuff like Apple Pay, but it hasn't been universal. And I would argue that Seeing someone pay with NFC is still the exception as opposed to the rule in most cases. It hasn't been so widespread that it's become the common way, or at least like even one out of five transactions. We haven't seen like a 20% adoption rate of NFC technology, at least from what I can tell. So uh, he thinks, Tom thinks that, you know, NFC is going to be one of those technologies that gradually increases in saturation and at some point, we're going to look at it and say, oh, my gosh, NFC is really here. I mean, it's it's the way people use to pay for stuff. Um, but it's not going to be one of those things that happens rapidly. It's just going to be a gradual realization. I agree with that. I also said, will the Firefox browser switching to Yahoo search engine make a big difference? 
And Tom jokingly said Google would end up selling YouTube and their HQ because they would be so threatened. And then said, no, that's not going to happen. So it'd be interesting and good for Yahoo and it'll make Google a little sharper. As it turns out, um, that didn't work out so well. Because if you listen to my wrap-up episode of 2015, uh, this agreement was made at the end of 2014. And a year later, Yahoo market share had actually dropped. It had not increased. So you could argue that this partnership did not help Yahoo at all. Maybe it did help Yahoo. Maybe without the partnership, it would have dropped even further. It's hard to say. But... It certainly didn't propel Yahoo into a new dominant space in the search engine business. So that was pretty rough. Um, then I said, Tom, do you have any other predictions that you'd like to talk about? He brought up the fact that everyone tends to predict that an Apple TV will be on the way, not just an interface for your television, but an actual television branded by Apple. Uh, and we both said that's probably not going to happen in 2015 if it happens at all. And sure enough, we did get Apple TV, but we're talking about a set-top box with a, a new user interface, a new operating system, TVOS, that uh, interacts with streaming content and, and digital content so that you can watch it on your television. But it's not a TV set itself. And Tom also talked about how we'd be seeing more traditional broadcast and cable channels offering online options for customers to get the content without going through cable itself and how that could mean we're seeing peak cable. So stuff like HBO, you know, in 2015, we saw HBO Now, which was the first time HBO was offering uh, a digital access to content without requiring a cable subscription, including HBO. So you know, HBO Go, you had to already be an HBO customer through your cable company in order to use HBO Go. But HBO Now meant that you could actually get access to HBO programming without having HBO on your cable, uh, which was kind of cool. And a lot of people have said this is sort of the beginning of the end for cable television as it has been known up to this point. And Tom you know, said, well, maybe we are at peak cable. And as it turns out, that looks like that might be right. We're seeing We're seeing numbers of cable subscribers drop. Not just that we're seeing more people get rid of cable, but we're seeing few, fewer people adopt cable. Uh, we have cord cutters, the people who are saying, I'm done with cable television, I don't want it anymore. And then we have cord nevers. These are the people who have never subscribed to cable. They don't see the value in it. They might have cable as an internet service provider, but they don't have cable television. And uh, it looks like we're not just looking at peak cable. We're not just looking at a plateau. We're looking at a drop-off. Uh, it's not so incredible that the cable company is in dire straits right now. But unless something changes, I think it's a trend we're going to see continue, where cable subscriptions are going to continue to drop. Uh, we're going to see fewer customers for the major cable companies out there, cable service providers. And we're going to see some big changes in that industry. Uh, I sure hope we see some big changes in that industry because there needs to be some real shakeups in the United States. We've talked multiple times about how cable service is largely a monopoly in the U.S. Even though there are multiple companies, 
that are operating in that space, in most regions, you don't have a choice in who your provider is. Or if you do have a choice, it's it's almost like a fake choice. Like one is clearly more dominant than the other. Um, and that's a problem because without competition, there's no incentive to uh, to work with consumers to create the best experience for consumers. If you're the only game in town, you can charge whatever you want for your stuff, and that's the only place people can get it. So this is where we're starting to see that kind of crumble as the Internet takes over some of that load where you can get stuff online. Well, that wraps up what our predictions were and how things have turned out. I'd say on the whole, Tom and I were pretty accurate with our our evaluation of the predictions. There were a couple of times where things turned out differently than what we expected, but not by a whole lot. Now, our next episode will be the predictions for 2016. And on that episode, I will have another special guest, and that will be Ayaz Akhtar of CNET. Uh, Ayaz is an old friend of mine. He's been on the show before. Uh, we're also co-hosts of a another show that we do ourselves with a, a friend of ours named Eric Sandine. And uh, so Ayaz and I are going to make our predictions for what will happen in 2016. And that should be fun because we'll be recording that in December of 2015. And uh, it won't air until the beginning of 2016. And by then it'll be too late for us to change our minds. And I'm sure I will predict something that will have already been proven wrong by the time the episode goes live, because that seems to be the tradition. If you guys have suggestions for future episodes of Tech Stuff, uh, whether it's a topic that I should cover or a guest I should have on the show, either to interview or to be a guest host, uh, or anything along those lines, you should send me a message. Let me know. The email address is techstuff at howstuffworks.com. Or you can drop me a line on Facebook, Twitter, or Tumblr. The handle at all three is TechStuffHSW. And I'll talk to you again in the future. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 